Stalk Talks podcast brings you intelligent discussion of topical issues inspired by the international city of peace and justice. I think we all know what we need to do. Problems, they come like a costume. They fit you. Remove our inner critic and open our inner, you know, curiosity. You know, nothing speaks louder than money. Walk in, slam your fist on the table, so... (laughs) Yeah. Together, <laughs> something has to change. Welcome back to another episode of Stalk Talks. I'm Zoe, and I'm Tom. This week, we're talking about Corona, specifically the Dutch government's response to Corona and the Dutch media's coverage of that response. The Netherlands has consistently been toward the bottom of data tables designed to measure corona response, including vaccine rollout. Now, for a relatively small, wealthy country that is typically known for being well-organized, this comes as a surprise. Strange, too, is the apparent lack of interest from the national media. It is indeed rare to find frontline news providing critical evaluation of the government's response to the pandemic. Yes, and therefore we have invited two representatives from the grassroots organization called Containment New, or Containment Now in English, to join us on this week's show. Originating from a left-wing action group, this open collective arose from two central concerns. First, that the Dutch approach differs from the recommendations of the World Health Organization and the approach from various other European countries. And secondly, that there is a lack of criticism in the Dutch media with regards to this deviating approach. Without further ado, please allow us to welcome the two representatives from Containment Nu. Uh, welcome Vicky van der Tocht and Michael Block. Thank you for joining us today on Stalk Talks. Hi, thank you for having us. Thank you. Your organization maintains that the Dutch authorities have served as an example of how not to respond to the biggest crisis most of us have ever lived or indeed died in. Could you explain to us briefly how the Dutch approach has deviated from the World Health Organization's recommendations and other EU countries? Well, I think we should distinguish three levels, the World Health Organization, Europe and the Netherlands. Uh, The World Health Organization has always advocated normal public health policy, which means trying to contain a dangerous virus. Even if it escapes a little bit, you try to recontain it basically using the normal methods we have in 2020-21, which is lots of testing, isolating people with the disease, et cetera, et cetera. It looks like basically all of Europe had chats in January, February, where most European countries decided to allow the virus to circulate at least to some extent or not to stop it completely. But there were a few countries, uh, including Sweden, Britain, and the Netherlands, where the choice was made to basically do the opposite and to apply the gas pedal and to try to get this virus through as fast as possible. Uh, That is a, a step change, a completely different strategy And in fact, from now released government documents, we know that the the plan was to allow the virus to circulate as fast as possible, to allow the buildup of uh, what they call herd immunity, which is a theory that if people have had the virus, then they don't transmit it anymore to other people. And the hope that by the time they would get to about 60% of people infected, that the pandemic would die out. 
Now, all of this has uh, is not only turned out to be not true, but it was never going to be true. And that's where we arose in January, February first, you know, on Twitter criticizing this because we can read English perfectly well. By the way, most people in the Netherlands can, but they just didn't. And we saw what was going to happen. What a huge mistake this was, and how you know amoral and dangerous it was, and how much it would rip society apart. They still did it. And that's why, by the time we got to March of 2020, we became an actual action group and and started to organize ourselves. It's interesting that you mentioned that, Michael, because indeed you guys have properly organized yourselves you, the, with the website. You've published a number of articles related to the scandals or the mistakes that have been made by the government in your eyes. And one of these refers to the WOB or the, the Public Transparency Law that was changed in March this year. Um, this makes it difficult for media to find and extract information about decisions made related to the pandemic. Could you perhaps give us some more insight as to what was the justification for such a move and is such a move in keeping with other EU countries? Well, the, the vote part is part of a larger problem we have in the Netherlands of a government uh, that you know doesn't like transparency very much. We've seen this in other dossiers as well, and it's actually an official doctrine, sort of. It was uh, pronounced in a parliamentary inquiry by the prime minister, so that's that. I, however, uh, would argue that trying to control public discourse in in the largest crisis that almost any one of us have ever, has ever lived through is okay. It's fine by me. I, I never minded the propaganda, and I never minded the whole scale misleading and lying that was necessary to make the strategy happen. I mind that they chose the wrong strategy, but I definitely would not argue that they never had the right to mislead us because it's a giant crisis. They can lie about the nuclear arms in Volkel too. They have to. I don't mind. Wouldn't you argue, though, that perhaps the debate should have been public because that's exactly how one perhaps finds the right approach through debate, through open discussion, through lots of different viewpoints coming through. If this wasn't happening in the Netherlands, and indeed, I wanted to bring up the fact that, of course, we had a national election here and once again, the current leadership was largely given a vote of confidence. So that would then suggest that the Dutch public felt that this was okay, that they were more or less happy with the, the coronavirus response. And this is possibly because they were uninformed because of a lack of this wider debate. Definitely. But I think you should distinguish in February, they had late January, it looks like they decided to not stop the virus. And by late February, they were gung-ho on the let's get it through as fast as possible by cocooning the old and the weak and, and allowing everybody else to get as sick as soon as possible. In that situation, I do not understand what it means that we should have had a public debate. There was no time. And it's like uh, if you raise children non-religiously, they will never turn religious. So religion is not a child's choice. If you want to have your kid, child Christian, you need to raise a Christian. If you want to get the virus through as fast, as fast as possible, you can't have a public debate because then you have to throw out your cards on the table. And people want to be protected in a, in a pandemic of a dangerous virus. So the public will always vote for containment. And the lies that you will need to tell the people that children play no role, that aerosols play no role, and that asymptomatics play no role, these are, we call this the holy trinity of lies. This is absolutely necessary to tell us. You cannot have a public debate about whether you're going to lie to the public. So that's the, the February part. And they had no choice. When they chose this very unwise and inhumane strategy, they had no choice but to just push it through. 
that the only place where it could have been stopped was would have been in Parliament. And, you know, I'm not that impressed with the level intellectual and, you know, level of, of, of MPs. And nothing about this whole situation can be understood if you don't understand how much Dutch people trust each other and trust their government and government institutions. So MPs had no choice but to believe the total bullshit that was told to them, even though all Dutch MPs read English perfectly well. And if they'd opened up any Guardian, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Süddeutsche uh, Zeitung, they would have seen that they were being told nonsense and, and dangerous nonsense. But they never did. And even if they'd seen the foreign uh, information, they would have uh, discounted it because we are Dutch and we're Club Holland and we're better. Now, zooming forward one year, of course, by now, you know, we've had a couple of waves and of course there should have been public debate. And what you see is that there's more room now. The government is being more honest. They're acknowledging that children finally play a role. They're starting to acknowledge that aerosols play a role. But major media outlets and even the more critical news shows like Newsure and news analysis shows don't touch the strategy. They always, they have uncovered some big scandals and there are many, many scandals, but they're all, these scandals are not actually incompetence or mistakes. They're just quite a well-executed herd immunity strategy. But they will not. They have not touched this. They don't, and they probably won't. Yes, I mean this is this is what we wanted to to come to. This apparent lack of criticism from the Dutch media. As a foreigner, uh, I mean I follow a number of the major Dutch national newspapers, the Volkskrant, the NRC, the Telegraaf. I follow them on Twitter. I was constantly surprised by just a lack of coverage in general. And indeed, it's still to me, there seems not that much. I mean, how, how do we explain this? Well, there are two sides to this. The, the one is the Club Holland type of thinking, where people have trouble attacking the foundations of ourselves. It's like a Stockholm syndrome. When you're captured by a kidnapper, it is extremely psychologically difficult to keep on believing for months that your kidnapper is evil. So that's why it's perhaps attractive to start thinking that their political goals are okay, and that makes it easier to be a captive. And I think that for most Dutch people, and I think that the government realized this and used this as part of their strategy, it is far too painful to believe that the government chose to infect 70 or 80 percent of us with a dangerous virus for some political goal. This is what they said they did. They were very honest about it on March 16th that they were going to do this. They literally said what I just said, but people chose to discount that. And for a year and more have, have, have chosen to believe that the government has been trying to stop the virus, but that they're making a lot of mistakes. Yeah, and if I can jump in there, I think in a large part, it also has to do with the Dutch culture. Uh, we very much have a culture of uh, not going against the grain. And I feel like for a long time, also the media believed, completely believed what we were being told and just decided to report word for word what the government was saying. And with that mentality, they're not going against the grain. It's difficult to actually ask those critical questions. And so it took a long time to even get some of those questions on the agenda. We had to fight for that. We had to contact those journalists. And it took until like December last year, maybe it was even January, for anyone to ask, like, why don't we actually, why don't we go for containment? And we were, we were reliant on the international journalists. So it was actually one of the reasons why early on we decided to reach out to international journalists, because also because we're such a small country. 
there wasn't much international coverage of what was going on in the Netherlands. In terms of herd immunity approaches, everyone was talking about Sweden. And then when Boris Johnson declared it, everyone was talking about the UK. But the Netherlands wasn't that much on that international stage in terms of having that coverage, asking those critical questions. So we felt like we needed to make those connections to actually be able to tell the full story of what was going on in our country because the national media wasn't doing it at all. Well, yeah, I think it's interesting, Vicky, that you mentioned herd immunity from my perspective. I just felt like the Netherlands was taking a sort of a low-key, relaxed approach, and maybe this was part of the government strategy. Um, The Netherlands is, in fact, the only country where herd immunity was officially announced. Very clearly, on March 16th, the prime minister gave his only national address. It was the only one in the past 49 years. It was a huge official event. And there he used the word herd immunity five times. He portrayed it as Valhalla, as the future Uh, saving of our country, all we needed to do was get 60% of our people infected and then the virus would die out, thereby allowing us to protect the cocooned weak and old. So it has been hugely interesting for me. I have been a Dutchman for 50 years and I have seen my country turn to quite a a hardcore right-wing country over the last 20, 25 years, but we're still building off the liberal image of the 1970s when in fact the Netherlands was a liberal place. Now it's quite a conservative place with little room for crazy behavior, uh, economies quite right-wing, few protections for the poor, but it seems like our reservoir of goodwill from the past is unlimited. And when Sweden went for the same strategy but never officially announced it, uh, it seems that the whole world latched onto that and kind of left us alone. And the other part of the media is explicit uh, deals. The editors of the Telegraaf and uh, Volkskrant newspapers and the editor of the Op1 uh, main evening chat show on TV admitted in the media that they uh, made deals with the government, that they talked with the government about not allowing criticism. And and that's a big part. Now, one can suppose that these kind of chats were, were made with all the other media outlets. We don't know, but that definitely happened in some cases. And it's also noteworthy that we were interviewed for TV a number of times and uh, multiple times after the announcement was made, for instance, on, uh, on Twitter, that we were going to be on TV in the evening, our item was canceled afterwards, which, you know, one doesn't know what happened, but one can suppose that a call was made from Bildhoven or The Hague to, to the news outlet saying, don't let those containment new people on, they are anti-scientific, which is a bit rich coming from them, of course. And aside from that, we've done multiple interviews for papers as well. And it was very clear to us after a while that every time we made a statement and they wanted to quote us on something, they would first write that article and then go to someone from the outbreak management team that, of course, is put together by the government to get their response to that. And so we never got any nuanced piece out there that way because, yeah, they already have a certain framing in mind. And by doing it that way, yeah, they always get a say in what is being published. So that also makes it a bit difficult. It just seems to me like you're telling us that the media or the the free press in this country are not actually doing their jobs properly. It was worrying. Perhaps we can we can move on, Tom, to our next question before we get too sidetracked into into that. Absolutely. So what was interesting also when we're looking at the response of the the government, we like you said, we saw a lot of evidence at some point mount up towards uh, well counter arguments towards the approach that the Dutch 
have chosen the fatality rates, the transmissions, all backed by scientific evidence. However, we didn't really see a adjustment in the government response. So regardless of, of the media covers, regardless of the coverage, even the, the MPs or the governments could have seen all of this evidence and said, well, perhaps we need to change our approach. And so why do you think that is the case? This is the question I've been pondering for a long time. Like, why don't we get those changes? Why aren't any of the guidelines changed over time? And the only thing I keep getting back to is they don't want it. Now with airborne transmission, for example, it, we now know that airborne transmission is the, the main route of transmission. It's been acknowledged by the WHO. RBM is now acknowledging it, but we don't see any changes based on that knowledge, not even in schools. In fact, that quite the opposite is happening, that they now want to fully reopen schools and actually lift some of those measures. So you you kind of you're kind of wondering why that would be and there is no there is no good explanation for that except for them still have this idea that all the people that get infected are building up some sort of immunity and we hear as much in the chambers as well uh, because multiple politicians have now asked them so so how many people do you think are immune and they don't just count the people that are vaccinated they count the people that are vaccinated fully vaccinated partly vaccinated and the people who got the disease. And so they think that every person that got the disease is immune. And if you count that way, well, then there's still some sort of herd immunity idea in the whole strategy ingrained. Don't forget that if you believe in herd immunity, then it feels like a good way to limit total societal damage. That's the basic thinking. By cocooning the old, you limit the, you get the virus through with but killing fewer people. This was voodoo thinking, but that's what they thought. There was a, a good intent. But once you're outside of that thinking, everything is a huge crime. You can't go from considering the same action to be good to a crime without firing yourself. And people don't do that. So there is, it's, it's, it's psychologically and you know, legally impossible for the government to change its mind on the strategy. And there's another level where this doesn't happen is that there's simple bureaucracy inertia. They have set in, uh, in place so many uh, measures that, that it's very difficult to change that. I mean, this is, this is crazy. It would never, I would never do that if I was them. You basically have to tr get yourself arrested. You have to say, look, I allowed 30,000 people to die. A million people got long COVID. I destroyed my economy. I destroyed social tissue and I lied to you for 14 months. I mean, terribly, every day. Ter most of what I said about this was a lie. Come on, you're never going to do that. Yeah, no, th that was exactly my, my question as well. If you've chosen one strategy and it turns out that another strategy is better, but there's huge costs to switching, then well, perhaps there's there's just no way back after you've chosen one strategy. And I think for most people, this will be unconscious because their conscious will not allow them to realize this because they have to operate as human beings. People want to do the right thing. Yeah, I agree with you. It seems that the herd immunity paradigm is still very much in existence and it's very powerful. But we could also mention the idea that from what was it, October, November time last year, yet another fairly lengthy, fairly strict lockdown was put in place, which might slightly go against this idea of let's, let's work on herd immunity. Uh, and there's also the fact that, yes, as scientific information comes in to suggest that people can be reinfected. In fact, I know a woman here in The Hague who's had COVID twice. I'm sure there's many, many other examples. So as this scientific information, long COVID reinfection comes in, then surely the herd immunity argument becomes more and more difficult to sustain. 
you'd say so. And I, I'd like to kindly disagree with you on the strict lockdown uh, part. In fact, um, I think it's one of the topics that is being discussed around the Netherlands that makes us seem like we're doing much better than we actually are, because internationally, they're talking about our lockdown, the length of our lockdown as being very strict. While in reality, when you compare it to lockdowns in other countries, we have total freedom here. You could go outside, you could go for a walk, you could meet people outside, inside. It's just there was a limitation to the amount of people you were allowed to meet inside. But there wasn't any enforcement of these lockdown measures or barely any enforcement. And even if there were people getting charged for uh, not sticking to the lockdown measures, most of them uh, got away with it in the end. It seemed that all the measures that were implemented were kind of implemented because there was a need to do something and not necessarily because these were the best measures to put in place. It's public health theater because it makes it seem to the people that we're doing everything in our power to keep everyone safe, cases go down, but everything is is aimed at keeping hospital admissions low, not keeping everyone safe. I noticed that. Keeping hospital admissions below the maximum threshold. Exactly, exactly. And now even the lifting of those measures that weren't strict to begin with is just resulting in that we go over that limit of hospital admissions. So in in that sense, we didn't have an effective lockdown. We didn't have any effective measures that would actually get us to that low amount of cases. The the Justice Minister, Fert Grapperhaus, explained it very well uh, a few weeks ago on TV. He said that he was proud that the Netherlands had uh, now a lower need for control measures than other countries, which, by the way, is not true. The Netherlands is currently under one of the most heavy regimes in Europe because they started vaccinating late badly with high virus circulation. But uh, that's what he said. That's what he thinks. And he said that this was because they were able to get 25% of people infected by well-dosed control measures, well-dosed lockdowns which means uh, that they, exactly as they said last year in March, and Mr. Van Dissel, the Corona Czar, uh, went to Parliament numbers of, many times to explain this. They, the infections go down a bit. You relax measures to make infections go up again just to keep hospitals full constantly. The only thing that changed somewhere around March, and that's why the Dutch medical establishment is now angry with the government, because the deal to not allow hospitals to descend into chaos was broken, because in April and May, hospitals have been in deep trouble. And this is because the government kind of has a wash our hands of this. This is It's been enough now. If some more people die, we're not going to have more lockdowns. We're not going to stop this virus. The latest estimates uh, by analysts are that 30,000 people died, uh, which gets us close to one in 500 people in the population that died because of COVID. And this is not the highest figure in the world. There are some South American countries that did worse. Italy is doing badly, but Italy has far more people in their 90s and 80s than than the Netherlands, so that's probably the reason why. But it's no uh, secret and no surprise that that the the country that decided to get as many people infected as fast as possible has had the, the most infections. And when you infect people with corona, some are going to die and many are going to get long COVID. This is not a secret. The, the tricky thing is, is there are still so many topics that we would like to talk about because we haven't even been able to touch upon, for example, the long-term effects of COVID that have been underplayed or the, the selling of data that the government has done of, of the, the, the things that they collected. And perhaps that will have to be covered in, in another episode or a future episode. Or One key question, 
question that is on a lot of our minds is we've spoken a lot about mistakes that are being made from from the government, from the media. Perhaps the, the most simple, but ultimately a very important question is who should shoulder the responsibility for, for the numerous consequences of this approach chosen by the government? Well, under Dutch uh, law, it's the Minister of, uh, of, of Public Health, who is Mr. Hugo de Jonge. We know from the media that, that Prime Minister Mark Rutte, who's quite a dominant figure in the Netherlands, despite the fact that we have coalition governments, uh, that he took these decisions himself. He said, I had to take these decisions himself, so that makes him responsible. He certainly took ownership of this. All the other cabinet members, 150 MPs signed off on this last year around March 10th. The RIVM public civil servants lied to parliament many, many times. This is a, a crime. I think they should be prosecuted. Then you have the media. This would never have been possible. When Johnson said, let's give everybody corona, the media rebelled and said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Stupid idea. In the Netherlands, everybody said, yes, our new leader has risen. So they have to answer for this. My big problem is with, you know, at least 12 or 13 million fellow countrymen. They are not stupid. They can read English. How come that these people trust their government so much, they literally trust their government to the death? And I'm, I'm fed up with that. Do you think perhaps, Michael, that in the future, the Netherlands will look back on this pandemic and see it as some sort of turning point, perhaps, for slightly different attitude towards the government, slightly more skeptical? Well, over time, it will be reduced. But if you look at the, the scandal we had last year, parents getting some money from the government, and it turned out that people with strange last names were heavily discriminated against and actually persecuted by the government, it hasn't really touched trust in government at all. It's because the Dutch, I think, are so t wedded to their trust in government that the moment they let go, it becomes kind of like a spring that shoots away and they don't want this. If the Dutch people had Italian-like attitudes towards their government, where you have some amount of distrust and the government, when they say crazy things, you think, well, maybe, but let's check it first. That is such a huge different way, hugely different way of looking at the government. And in Britain, nobody thinks that uh, Boris Johnson always tells the truth. No, nobody, absolutely nobody. And people who vote for him don't mind. Uh, in the Netherlands, even though the government lies through their teeth, people tell themselves that this was once or twice or necessary. And I think it's because it's binary. You trust When you trust somebody, it's like your, your wife or your, your husband or your child. When you trust them, you, you kind of have to trust them completely. Okay, so what should concerned citizens do? I'd like to say, look at the international guidelines. Do not follow the REVM. It's been weird to say throughout this pandemic, but it's just simply true. Anyone that were to listen to REVM since the start of this pandemic is almost guaranteed to get infected. So uh, if you care about your own life and the people around you, it's uh, it's good to look abroad for, for those. Or our Twitter account. Or our Twitter account. That is one tip I can give. And aside from that, I think uh, we should take a, a good hard look at ourselves and our own voting behavior because... It is impossible for this cabinet to solve the problems, uh, solve the mess that they made themselves. And I hope that the media will see, uh, will see it that way, uh, at least somewhere in the future. I'm pessimistic. I, we know that there will be a parliamentary inquiry within a year or two. It will definitely rule in our favor, if, if, if that's how we can call it. It will say that there was lots of lying, that they made the wrong anti-scientific choice, and then nothing will change. Uh, we've had parliamentary inquiries with the most damning conclusions and pretty much nothing happened. 
Even the quite extensive corruption that is a part of this strategy, which would not, was not necessary, that is an actual bad thing, uh, doesn't seem to have caused a huge uproar. Well, I think then perhaps it's up up to the, as you said, up to the Dutch public to to decide at some point that they want change. But per- perhaps we're we're still waiting for that day. Yeah, yeah, we are, and we're going to do our best to uh, to make that change. Okay, so time flies, and as always, this has been a really fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today, Vicky and Michael, on Stalk Talks. I think there is so much more to talk about that goes without saying, but given the the time uh, restrictions, we'd like to ask our listeners to take a look at the containment new website. If, if your interest has been piqued by our discussion, if you want to know more, so that's www.containmentnew.nl. Do take a look. And of course, they're also on Twitter, which is where I found you. So you can, you can always follow in that way. Lots of stuff in English too, huh? And then last but not least, we want to thank you, listener, for tuning in to another episode of the Stoke Talks podcast. Remember that you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Anchor, and that you can always watch the full unedited interviews on our YouTube channel called Stoke Talks. Thank you again for joining us this week, and we hope to see you back in the next.